So we are in a, um, a series of messages for Lent. Uh, this is the season of solemn repentance. And what we've been learning is that repentance doesn't necessarily mean sorrow. It may mean sorrow, but what it mainly means is to rethink, to make a U-turn, to change your mind. And solemn doesn't necessarily mean unhappy or sad. It simply means to be serious. So we're trying to be serious about rethinking things for Lent. What we've done the last couple of weeks is we, we've rethought what it is we think about God. And then last week we rethought what we think about ourselves. And today we're going to rethink the past. Now, if you grew up in church and you came to church and there's a rooster on the, on the, uh, the screen there, then you probably have immediately gone to the most famous rooster probably in all history. No one knows who owned it or, 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 or anything about it except everybody has heard about this rooster, if you if you have a church background, it is the rooster that that uh, Peter heard crow um, after he had just denied Jesus the third time. We'll hear about it later in March. Um, but I saw this picture of a rooster who is about to crow, and I said that's the perfect thing to illustrate this idea because uh, even before that, or a week or so ago, I read a line from a man named Matthew Diaz, and in it he said he said this. He said, every day for the rest of his life, Peter heard roosters crowing. And honestly, I don't even know what he said after that. I mean, I, I, I could find it, but I was just struck by that thought. You know, in that culture, people had chickens. A lot of people in the world today still have chickens. They're not so popular up here. We have ravens. But, um, but people in most of the world keep chickens. And so there's all kinds of places in the world you... To this day, you hear roosters crowing in the morning. And that would have been true for Peter as well. The rest of his life, he was forgiven. He knew he was going to heaven. He knew he had eternal life because he knew Jesus had demonstrated that eternal life was available. But he had to deal with his past. And every day, roosters crowed and reminded him of his past. And so that's what I want to do today. I want to, I want to rethink our past because if you're like me, you have a past. Now some of us, some of us, uh, the sociopaths and the really innocent people in the room don't have anything to think back on with regret or shame or just a wish they could do it over again. And if you're one of those people, if you really can honestly look at your life and say there's really nothing much that I regret, then I would just encourage you to hang on to this message because your day may come. You know, I, I don't know about you, but I'm always about, you know, one decision away from making a complete mess of my life. So it may happen to you too. But I think a lot of us don't have to wait. A lot of us have things we already regret. There's the, the, the thing we said and we knew it would break the relationship and it did. We haven't spoken to that person in years. And we wish we could just, we wish we could go back and undo that. There's the business with the money, where we told everybody we never saw it. You don't know what happened to it. And they believed us, or maybe they believed us, but at least they quit talking about it. There's that thing that happened in college, spring break, junior year. We just wish we could just forget it. There's the reason our first marriage failed, or maybe our second marriage failed. There's things in our past that we wish 
we can deal with. And we're fortunate, you know, Peter had roosters crowing every day, but for most of us, we're able to kind of shove them down deep inside somewhere, put them under the carpet, hope that we don't remember them. But they intrude. We can't always sweep them under the carpet. They, they have a way of coming back up to the surface from time to time. So the question for us is, what do we do about the past? What can we do about the past? Well, Scripture tells us the answer. Scripture tells us that it is not Jesus' intention simply to forgive us for our past. It is not Jesus' intention simply to get us into heaven when we die. But Jesus came to redeem us, and that includes redemption from our past. Jesus wants to move our past from the realm of guilt and fear and shame and regret and sorrow to a place where we can look at it without flinching, where we can be honest to ourselves and maybe to others about what happened, to a place where we can evaluate it and learn from it and become wiser and be grateful for the Lord we have who saved us. So what I'd like to do is look at a passage that has nothing to do with Peter. There's, there's a reason I'm switching from Peter to Paul. And it's, it's that uh, part of it is because it's easier to find passages about Paul because Paul was so influential in developing the, the text of what is now the New Testament. But the other is that Paul himself says, hey, Peter's got nothing on me. Paul says, I am the chief of sinners. You know, in your face, Peter. He says, I am the chief of sinners. He says, my sin is greater than Peter's. So I want to look at the passage we just heard from Acts chapter 9. While you're finding it in your Bibles, I want to catch us up. Back in chapter 7, Paul first appeared in the scene. Actually, I'm going to keep calling him Paul because I can't help it. His name is Saul. In that culture, it was very common for people to have more than one name. Uh, They might be uh, a family name or something. You might think of it like we do first names and last names, but it would be common for people to have two names that they were known by more familiarly or more uh, formally. And so Saul um, was just involved in a mob murder. There was a, a, a mob violence, uh, and Saul was one of the people who was watching them and probably egging them on. And he was so happy with the results of that first murder that he decided to go into the business of persecuting the church. So he does, and we pick up the story now in chapter 9. It says, Meanwhile, Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus. What we know from history is that when Rome conquered the Holy Land, as one of the concessions they made, you know, if you if you uh, give in, we'll give you these concessions. One of the concessions they made is they said, you'll still be in charge of your religion. And they actually gave the high priest the authority to issue uh, warrants of extradition uh, so that so that they could enforce the religion. So that Paul asks for one, or asks for, for several, and then he wants to go to Damascus. Damascus is the nearest big city. There's been a persecution. Um, the word actually here means to harass or to harry. It means to not give anybody any relief. Um, it means to chase after them and, and to kick a dog when he's down. It means to, to never let up. 
So Paul wants to never let up against these people who've scattered off to the big city. Um, so he's chasing them down even in the big city. So, so that if he found any who belonged to the way, the way was what the church called itself, if any belonged to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he was going along and approaching Damascus, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and he fell to the ground, and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And he asks, who are you, Lord? Now Paul has a religious training. Paul knows when there's a blinding light from heaven and a voice you can't identify, he knows who it is, so he probably doesn't just mean, who are you, sir? Um, the word can mean either, but he means, who are you, Lord? Paul knows what's going on. And the reply comes, I am Jesus, not I am God, but I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. He says, I know what you've been doing. You've been hurting me. When you hurt these other people, when you chase them from their homes, when you broke up their families, when you dragged them off into prison, when you oversaw their execution, you were hurting me. And now you're at my mercy. I've got you down on the ground. You can't even see. Now you're going to get it. Now you're going to learn to, to know better than to mess with me. I'm going to send you back to Jerusalem in a box, or at least hurting so bad that you're going to tell people to lay off my people. That's not what Jesus says, is it? He doesn't say anything. He says, you've been persecuting me. He doesn't even give him a stern lecture. You know, now you have to promise to behave. What he says, our translation is very weak here. It says, but get up. The word but here is a stronger but. It's a nevertheless. I could do all that. I've got you dead to rights. But he says, nevertheless, get up and enter the city and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless because they heard the voice and saw no one. Only Paul got this revelation from Jesus. So he, uh, though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. They took him by the hand and brought him to Damascus. For three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. And then the scene shifts. Now we pick up the story of Ananias. Ananias is a disciple. Maybe he fled there. Maybe he was a disciple because of somebody he met there who had fled from Jerusalem. But Ananias is there in Damascus. And the Lord comes to him in a vision and says, Ananias. And he says, here I am, Lord. And the Lord says to him, go to a particular house on a particular street. And in there is a guy who's praying. And he just had a vision of you coming to lay hands on him. And Ananias goes, well, maybe it was some other Ananias because I've heard about this guy. And he doesn't strike me as a good risk. He says, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who invoke your name. But the Lord says, go, he is my chosen instrument to bring my name before Gentiles and kings and before the people of Israel. I myself will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias goes, and the rest is history. It is it is literally history. After Jesus himself and possibly Peter, Paul is probably the most historic figure to ever live. He is, we know his name today, 2,000 years later, we know about this obscure a Jew from from the city of Tarsus, no big city in in southern Asia Minor. 
we know about Paul today. There's cathedrals named after them. There's cities. Some of you are from Minnesota. Your state capital is named after him. 2,000 years later, we remember Paul because of this event. Paul went on to do exactly what Jesus said. He said, to, to bring my name before Gentiles. Paul, uh, after, after learning more about Jesus, kind of talking to people who had been with Jesus, finding out what Jesus' story was, he became a, a, an evangelist. He started telling people what had happened to him. And he went back to Jerusalem at one point and said, okay, here's my plan. Let's divide up kind of areas of responsibility. You guys take Jerusalem and Judea and Galilee, and I'll take everything else. And he did. He went around the Mediterranean, starting one church after another, every place he went. And he would correspond with them. When he went from one, he would keep in touch with the ones he left. And he did this so many times that in his correspondence, in the letters that he wrote, people said, you know what, there's more than just a letter here for us and our circumstances. This is something important. We need to make copies of this and give it to people in other churches. And those letters wound up becoming about a quarter of the New Testament. Paul traveled around with different people. One of them was a man named Luke. And Luke wrote the books of Luke and Acts, another quarter of the New Testament. So Paul, between himself and his traveling companion Luke, is responsible for half of the text of the New Testament. This event was historic. It was historic that Ananias went and laid his hands on him. But the amazing thing to me is that at no point do we get any indication in all that material, half of the New Testament, we never get a sign that Jesus ever lectured Paul about it, that Jesus ever brought it up with him again, that for Jesus the matter was closed as soon as he said, go into the city. The person who is bringing up Paul's past is not Jesus. The person who keeps bringing up Paul's past twice just in the book of Acts after this, and then in many of his letters, the one who keeps bringing up his past is Paul because Jesus has redeemed his past. This past is a murderer and a and an advocate for murder. Jesus has redeemed it. He has enabled Paul to look at it without flinching to evaluate where he went wrong, to learn from it, to become wise, and to be grateful. And that's what Jesus wants for all of us to do with our past, to look at it, to be honest. It's risky. You know, Peter and Paul actually had it easy because everybody knew their reputation. All the other disciples knew about the rooster. Everybody, people in Damascus, knew about Paul. It was easy for them, but for us, our past is our little secret. And so it's a risk for us to drag it back out in the open and look at it. But Jesus wants us to do that. He wants us to look at the thing that we're embarrassed about or ashamed of, the thing that brings us guilt or regret. He wants us to bring it out, look at it, learn from it, and then be grateful to the God who has forgiven it and can use it in the work that he has for us. So do that. Rethink your past. And I have one more thing to think about. 
whether whether you do that, whether there's something on your heart, or whether you've done that 20 years ago, and you've made peace with it, and if somebody talks to you about it, you'll say, let me tell you my story. Wherever you sit in that in that realm, there's another there's another thing in this for us in the church together. And that's the story of Ananias. Did you notice what Ananias said when he when he went to this man who he knows is a murderer, a persecutor, a terrible foe? What is the first word he says to Paul? He says, "Brother, brother Paul, Jesus has told me about you." He says, "Brother Paul, the Lord Jesus has sent me." You know, we're going to run into people the rest of our lives who've got pasts. Hopefully, some of them will want to come to church. The question for us is, how do we deal with people who've got a past? Because the model for us, the instructions that Scripture gives us, is to treat them like Ananias did. To say, I've heard all about you. You are a disaster. But Jesus... Jesus sees something in you, so you're my brother. You're my sister. Lent is a time for sober, solemn repentance. And one of the things we need to do is to rethink the past. So I invite you to do that. Drag it out. Take a cold, hard look at it. Learn from it. Become wise. And be grateful. Thanks be to God. Amen.